What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, great, great show lined up today. We have an awesome interview coming up with Ryan Brown, my friend from the next round. We're going to talk a lot of Auburn things, a little bit of Bama, some news that uh, he had to do a little bit of a, of a change of heart on, uh, talking about the Alabama quarterback room, digging into some some sliding doors about Brian Harson. Great interview coming up with him. And then what was I thinking? But first, the great Deion Sanders experiment. We've talked about Deion at various points since he got the Colorado job, but I, I wanted to go in depth with this a bit more because whether you like Coach Prime or not, what he's doing at Colorado is, in my opinion, one of the biggest stories, not just in college football, but college athletics as a whole. And it's not just because he's Dion. I don't even say that just because he told everyone when he arrived, oh, you know, I'm, I got my own luggage. I'm bringing Louie. Like that quote. Okay, that was a bar, though. Let's be honest. It's a bar. It's a bar. Like you Garth may not agree with it. You may not agree with what was behind it, but it's a bar. A bar is a bar. It doesn't care who says it. There, there was definitely a realization of he is going to treat this differently than most people are. He does not care about being politically correct. He will drop a bar like that to get his point across. And look, I mean, it had us immediately on, on red alert of, whoa, this is going to be unique. This is going to be different. You might love it. You might hate it. You might be somewhere in between, but you're watching. And right now, Mm-hmm. That's all that Dion can ask for. What he's doing is one of one in a lot of different ways, like him becoming the first HBCU coach to jump to a power five head coaching gig. And even though he's not quite one of one with the FCS jump to power five, it's still pretty rare. I don't think we know or fully understand just how rare it is. Chris Kleiman looking like a really smart hire for Kansas State. So he's kind of doing that right now. Troy Taylor left Sacramento State for Stanford. So you got two this cycle, including Dion, three currently in the sport, if I'm not mistaken. Someone else who once did that made the FCS two power five head coaching jump. Jim Harbaugh went from San Diego mm. to that's not San Diego State. That's San Diego. Went from San Diego to Stanford. You're the Dons, right? The Dons. Yeah. Yeah. The Dons. Interesting. Uh, Interesting that they have two schools in San Diego, one that goes by San Diego, one that goes by San Diego State. It's almost like once upon a time, there's like we, we need to put as many colleges in or around this area as humanly possible, because why wouldn't you who wouldn't want to go to school here? I remember covering somebody in Nebraska who went to school there and I didn't even have to ask what what sold them. Like it was, mm-hmm. she was she was like the one of the two or three best basketball players in the state. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to San Diego. So, Understood. Yeah, understood. Fair. Don't explain. By the way, it's even cooler than the Dons. It is uh, the Toreros. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> they go about. Don't they go about the Toros? Uh, it looks like it's Toreros, which I guess okay. it's like a matador. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> as one does. Um, but Jim Harbaugh. That is the only like 2015 Jim Harbaugh is the only kind of sort of comp that I, I can come up with, and it's not even a particularly good comp. I, I'm admitting that. But Harbaugh steps in at Michigan in 2015. He's going shirtless at satellite camps. He's jumping in pools. He's chugging milk. He's basically doing everything in his power to make sure that he is establishing his presence at Michigan. But obviously, it was much, much different in terms of the task at hand that Harbaugh signed up for compared to the one that Dion signed up for at mm-hmm. Colorado. Michigan, if you recall, pre-2015, 
traditional power falling on hard times. You've heard that story before. You'll hear that story again. Harbaugh actually had a pretty talented roster to work with that first year, too. Go back and watch some Jabril Peppers highlights, man. Oh, man. <laughs> you can play. Not, not a whole lot of guys doing the things that Jabril Peppers could do in his college career. Harbaugh could look at a lot of those pieces. He can kind of make a few tweaks, like getting the Jake Rudock from Iowa to play quarterback, put together a 10-win team in year one that I'd argue was even past some of those lofty expectations. But when you lose a primetime opener like they did against Utah, you have the trouble with the snap game against Michigan State, and then you get smoked by Ohio State at home, yeah, people are going to make their jokes because there were a lot of people that wanted to see Harbaugh fail. With Dion, there are some who will look at Colorado and say, well, if they don't go eight and four in year one, that's just proof why his way won't work. And this is, let's say, but this is probably going to be a bad team. That's what people don't understand. You can't get an entire team out of the transfer portal. Yes, correct. And, and everything that we have seen since Dion has taken over is evidence that this is going to be a true rebuild despite the unconventional way that he has gone about rebuilding. But we need context here. We always love having context here. And if you're eight and four bust guy, you need to understand this. Okay. I'm just I've got really a quick. Like this is one of those things that like smart people know that, but we're going to have to pretend like this is like you're going to see on sports center. If they go, if they win three or four games or whatever, what's happening in Colorado. And it's like, see, if he had taken the Billy Napier approach and been like, Oh, it's a rebuild. It would, you know, it would be smarter, but it wouldn't be as cool. And that's the thing about Dion. He doesn't want to admit that. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be continue. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think Dion stepping into any situation being like, hey, let's let's calm expectations. Yeah, you know, let's, we might be bad this year, guys. That's not his style. No, it, it's not. It never has been. It, it never will be. Well, how many times has Colorado played in a bowl game in the last 15 seasons? It's I feel like it's low. It's like four or five. Well, it's one. Oh, my gosh. One? Shout out to friend of the show, Mike McIntyre. There is a reason why our guy won National Coach of the Year in 2016 for that Colorado team that won 10 games. Okay? Jeez, man. That's, we need that context. Okay? We, we need that. In 2022, Colorado might have been at its absolute worst at any point during that run. Dead last in FBS in scoring defense, 127 in FBS in scoring offense, 125 in yards per play. They won one game, and it was a 20 to 13 overtime game against four win Cal. So they didn't win a single game in regulation, and they haven't been to a bowl game since 2016. Okay. So if you're eight and four bus guy, if that's your bar for Dion year one, I don't know. I, I think you're I think you're incredibly unrealistic and you're probably you're expecting like Vince Lombardi, Nick Saban level coaching. <laughs> and even that, I mean, my goodness, like that. Uh, I, I don't think Saban's walking into a roster that bad and all of a sudden going eight and four with it. I, I just don't like that. Yeah, he not didn't win eight games. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It, these things, if, if again, we don't judge coaches in year one based on win loss record. We don't mm -hmm. fully we don't write them off. That's not what we do here. We won't do that with Dion, especially knowing that context and knowing that Colorado had arguably the worst roster in power five. Because if you look at it on the surface, you'll actually be like, oh, maybe you could find rosters that are worse. 247 sports talent composite rankings. Number 63. All right. Bad. Six power five schools were worse than that. But here's the kicker. And here's here's what 
if you're looking at this and wondering like, why did Dion really need to go to that length to be able to overhaul that roster? Colorado had three four-star recruits on the entire roster. That's it. Three four-star recruits. Deion Sanders and Jackson State, HBCU Jackson State at the FCS level, they had 12 four-star recruits. And, man, they had Travis Hunter, number one overall recruit in the country, five-star guy, um, spurring Florida State at the last minute for Jackson State. You might have heard about that whole story. That was unprecedented. And we wondered if it would become the norm. That was the big takeaway that everybody had from signing day 2022. Is this going to become the norm? And I argued that we need to stop assuming that people can copy what Dion is doing. I am still arguing that we need to stop assuming that people can copy what Dion is doing. So what do I mean by that? Since Dion took over, these are the numbers. Colorado had 57 players enter the transfer portal. 57. I can't even count that high. I can't, Will. That broke Colorado. Colorado a lot broke of fingers. The record. Yeah, a lot of fingers. I don't have enough fingers and toes for that. I don't know about you, but no, we're, we're not at that place right now. Previous record, Arkansas State, 50. That's just in the portal era since that became a thing. You can't really look at this in terms of you know pre-portal stuff because of the immediate eligibility. So it's different now than it was then. So you really do have to keep it within those confines in the last four years, whatever you want to call it. It's it's bonkers though. And it's legal as long as for for those of you who are, who are wondering kind of like why is Dion able to do something like this and why is he able to walk in there and be as blunt as he's been, it's legal as long as the university is still paying for their education, which Colorado had four guys who stayed at the school who are no longer on the team, but they get to be on scholarship. It doesn't count against you, but as long as the university is like, yeah, we'll foot the bill for you to go to school, whatever you want to do while you're figuring out kind of your next step, we're, we're, we're going to honor that. It's not like they're just saying, Hey, you're on your own. Now you're screwed. That's why they can do this. When Dion said he had it, he had his own luggage. I don't think he was blunt enough. I, I, those numbers, they tell you, look, like you bring your own luggage when you're staying at somebody else's place. Maybe you're the person who brings their own pillow. Will, are you a bring your own pillow when you stay somewhere else guy? No. Shout out to my sister who has a lucky pillow though, but I'm not lucky pillow guy. What kind of luck has that pillow brought her? Um, you know, the success of her life and I guess also all the like the struggles as well. So maybe it's like a neutral pillow. Maybe it's like an everyday style pillow because it's been with her every day. So all the bad stuff is, has also happened under the rain of the pillow. It's just a, it's a vibes pillow. It's that, a vibes. It's, yeah. Okay. All right. I like that. Dion should have said, Hey, I'm going to tear down this entire building. You're not just bringing luggage. That's not what you're doing. Just, just for a little context here. Q freeze going to Auburn was seen as a situation, and I think we've said this multiple times on this podcast, we said, you know, he's he's going to need a roster overhaul. That, that That's what we think is, is going to happen. And sure enough, Hugh Freeze was very active in the portal. He only had 20 guys hit the portal since the end of the regular season. I wrote about this for SDS and why I actually think Hugh Freeze has a much more repeatable way to rebuild a roster than Deion Sanders. If you're saying like, oh, everybody's just going to do what Deion did. I'm like, nah, I don't really think what Deion is doing makes sense at other places. I don't because at other places, they've been to more than one bowl game in the last 15 years. They just Jeez. have. Auburn last year on that roster had 33 blue chip recruits. And we're just talking four star better. 
And they were number 18 in the country in the talent composite rankings. So among the top third in power five, that's a whole lot closer to the middle than where Colorado is, though. You might think some were perhaps like, okay, some of these guys, these blue chip recruits, they're maybe overrated in the recruiting process. And maybe they don't fit the culture you're trying to build. But there's no world, no world whatsoever in which Hugh Freeze could have walked into Auburn it said he's got his own luggage and it's Louie. Okay. There's no way. And that's just, that's not just because Hugh Freeze doesn't really have that kind of swag. And that's just not his personality. But you just couldn't say that, even if it was very obvious that a roster rebuild was happening, because the amount of bridges that you would burn on the recruiting trail would be significant if you just said to these kids, especially the blue chip recruits, hey, you're getting cut. The reaction to that would be insane. It'd be terrible. Like if Billy Napier had walked into Florida <laughs> and said, well, you know, this roster, Dan Mullen did a bad job of building this up. It needs an overhaul. Better do it the Dion way. Think about how quickly he would ruin relationships with Florida high school football coaches. Think about how, like do that at LSU and see what your in-state recruiting looks like after that. No yep. way. There's just no way. Even if you're going to a place where, let's just say, high school talent, it, it's at a level like Nebraska. And I can say this as somebody who covered high school football in the state of Nebraska. Okay, It's, it's not exactly top-tier high school football talent. It's just not. You still couldn't do that because they've at least been bringing in top 30 recruiting classes at a place like Nebraska. Now you could argue that the development isn't necessarily there. And I would definitely argue that the development under Scott Frost was not at the level that you would hope it was going to be at. If you're replacing somebody like that, still you have pieces to work with on top of that. And I just want to say real quick on that note, I think that that's a really interesting point because Dion has basically completely foregone regional recruiting. He's now turning this into like a national recruiting program. Like it's like, we can't win. Like we're in the big eight anymore. We can't just get these kids from this area of the country and run our system. It's like, all right, we tried that. It didn't work for the last 15 years. I don't care if we, you know, make the Colorado coaches all up in arms. You guys haven't helped us win any games. I'm going to go get guys from Florida, California, New York, whatever it takes. But I'm going to push these kids out the door, basically, because they're not good enough. Yeah, and it's it's a very unique thing to be able to do in, in that place. But also also remember this, and this is a key point in as we talk about this in the year 2023. If you get hired at a Power 5 school, and then instantly, just instantly, you cut the majority of the roster. Remember that in today's day and age with NIL, you're already getting off to a bad start with plenty of boosters who have some very NIL-based investments into some of these kids who feel like they should have a shot of playing. And so that's a really bad way to get started. And I don't know what the Dion auburn conversations were like. I, I can't speak on that. I'm not going to pretend what I know what that looked like from Dion's end. I don't know what that looks like from Auburn's end, how, how that all went about, because obviously – there, there was they're being linked to each other. So we kind of make those connections here in the media. But I can't sit here and say he would have walked in and told him he's bringing his own luggage. I don't know that he would have done that. Mm-hmm. But if it came out that he was taking that approach to Auburn and he said, this is what I'm doing no matter where I end up. And if we found out that it scared off some boosters who would be cutting his checks, that wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't. And I wouldn't necessarily blame the boosters. I wouldn't, but I understand why Dion's doing this to Colorado. 
Mm-hmm. I don't even know that he wanted to have 57 players hit the portal. We kind of assume that just because it's 57, he told every single one of those 57 players, you're not good enough to play here. When in reality, we saw a lot of these kids in the spring game. And then, of course, they make the decision that they want to play elsewhere. And they used it as a nice little spotlight for him. Credit to kids for being able to do that and feeling like they could have a better opportunity elsewhere. Some wondered, and maybe if Dion succeeds, they'll continue to wonder why Dion didn't get a better job. Why was it the, the school that's been to one bowl game in the last 15 years, right? And if you want, you could you could go to the lengths of, okay, what are the racial associations with something like this? Is it just there are certain programs that don't want to hire a black head coach? And there's probably part of that, whether people want to admit it or not, that's reality. Matt Hayes has talked and written about this a, a, a ton about why Dion did not get a better job because Dion doesn't drink. He doesn't curse. He's a family oriented guy who is one of the best, if not the best player ever at his position. He is a household name. He's been a household name for 30 years. And if you've seen him around kids, it takes two seconds to be like, yep, that guy gets through to people. I've brought this up before. I'll bring it up again. I remember seeing him and I don't know, Will, if, if your timeline would have caught, would have, would have worked with this as well. But did you ever see Dion at the Under Armour All-America practices? Yes. Yeah, I was with y'all for that. Like Dion was one of those coaches who you would you would see and you're just like that guy has constant energy. It's a magnetic mm-hmm. personality. You kind of see like, all right, some of these kids are here. They've been told about how great they are. Like Dion speaks people listen. That is th- that was my observation from from afar watching him because obviously you know, Dion's a little bit more interesting to me than Herm Edwards and some of the some of the coaches that are at the under all America thing and certain coaches you follow and certain coaches you're like, yeah, eh, I don't really need to see this. They're probably here just being able to cash a paycheck. Right. A lot of people like Dion and a lot of people will continue to get on the bandwagon. I think he'll have plenty of people that are still all aboard that bandwagon, even if he goes three and nine this year and if his luggage looks more like something that he picked up at Coles instead of Louie. Okay. The Goodwill store. <laughs> can you get luggage at the Goodwill store? Is that? Uh, you can check. The bigger ones have it. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask my guy Perry about that. Yeah, ask Perry. He would know. Perry would know about that, yeah. Uh, but he's in such a unique spot. He is. And I think it was only going to take someone as desperate as Colorado buying in. That's That's my answer as to why he did not get an even better job. And for all the points that we brought up before about how unprecedented this path from HBCU to Power 5 is for a head coach. Because you kind of look around and you're like, man, if you see some of the comments from Colorado's AD, Rick George, like he, he, had, a, a call, he had a a story in ESPN. I think it was Heather, Heather Dinich who wrote the story. You can tell he's all in. You can tell he is 100% on board. He's not saying, hey, Dion, you know, we need you to to actually walk back some of the bluntness because it doesn't really look great on us that we had 57 players hit the portal. It doesn't mm-hmm. look so good. No, he's not saying that. If that conversation happened behind closed doors at any point, you know what I bet Dion said? Good. Y'all were one in 11 last year. I'm right. one step closer to not being one in 11. Let those guys leave. That's fine. Right. As of late May, when we're recording this, Colorado has added 44 players from the portal since the end of the regular season. 25 of them came from the power five level and 12 of them are from the sec. Not exactly a bike ride away from Boulder, Colorado. Okay. (laughs) I bet there are some fan bases 
maybe even a certain Florida State team who had five guys leave for Colorado who want nothing more than to see Dion fall flat on his face. There will be those people, and they will be heard loud and clear. We have this thing where we like confidence, but we don't like overconfidence coming from someone who hasn't had success at this level yet. That's just mm-hmm. standard thing. It's the PJ Fleck thing. It's the Beamer yeah. thing. You know, I mean, some people, I wasn't aware that people didn't like Beamer. I was I was reading comments the other day. I was like, oh, that guy, people don't like him. Similar vibe, though, you know? A lot of Kentucky fans, a lot of Mizzou fans, not, yeah. not really on board the Shane train. They're, they're just not, <laughs> not at this stage. If Dion's out here losing to Cal and Washington State and, and that's happening, a lot of people will take great satisfaction in that because it's like, see, this is why you can't be so bold and flashy. This is why you can't do it this way. This is why this is the way that you're supposed to rebuild the roster. And whether those people want to admit it or not, that's rooted in this desire to be proven right so that they can try and tell people, see, Dion is not going to be the next big thing. What's funny is like you're going to have teams, fans of teams like Arizona who are going to come out and say this, which is just like, come on, what are what are we doing here? In right. reality, there's probably also this this hope for some that they don't they don't want to see Dion take off because it felt like anybody could have taken a chance on a guy who was, we need to remember a high school offensive coordinator in the 2020s. His rise is meteoric. It really is. And I remember a few years ago when he's talking about, hey, I'm going to be a power five head coach in a few years. I'm like, get out of here, dude. You're on NFL Network. What are you, what are you talking about? I've even, like, and I like what what I, and that was at that point, I'd seen him at the Under Armour All-American practice. I'm like, look, Dion, it's, it's, it's not that easy, man. Like, he, this takes a long time. I think Dion will make a lot of people feel a lot of different things. And honestly, I'm not even 100% sure how he makes me feel. I agree 100%. And I'll say this anywhere. I agree with the notion that it's all about talent acquisition in this day and age. And if you're not using all of those resources possible just because you don't want to have an awkward conversation with a kid, you're probably hurting them and you're hurting yourself at the same time. That's reality. Okay, it just is. I think it could be a huge benefit to those Colorado players in the in the early going that Dion is going to soak up all that attention. Like he is just going mm-hmm. to like what's what's the he's just going to be a sponge yep. for that. He truly will be. And instead of worrying about running the wrong route or, or messing up the protection and getting skewered like you would at some programs, Dion is still the headline each and every week. He is. That's that's not changing. That might benefit 18 to 22 year olds. There also might be some moments where the people involved might be like, okay, this is a bit much. We're a six and six team and everyone has an opinion about us. I I don't think there's any world in which Dion bats a thousand from a PR standpoint. No chance. It's a little different when you're at Jackson State and you win a ton. You also sort of get to control the message a little bit like his partnership with Barstool for the for the documentary was a really interesting way to get his program out there. And kind of regardless of, of what people at home listening to this think of Barstool, I think that was a smart move because we saw kind of a human side of Dion, the, the surgery that he had. And you, you mm-hmm. see him in a much different context than if you just take out some of the, the, you know, the sound bites and what you hear from him and what you think of him. But Dion's a control freak, 100%. I mean, what let, let's be honest, what college football coach is not a control freak? They all are. Ocho. Good point. It was in there, and that's why he got fired. Yeah, you got to be a control freak. It's preferred. Good point, Will. That is a, that is a great point. But even 
when he was playing and he was a a household name by anyone and everyone, Dion didn't have this many things that were out of his control. And that's what I'm interested in seeing. How's he going to handle quarterback battles? How's he going to deal with staff turnover? How's he going to handle a post-game press conference after a blowout loss? I don't know. I don't know the answers to those questions. And while I can expect some learning moments that'll be much more high profile for Dion because he's Dion, I don't think that means Colorado is going to have these regrets at these at any any stage of this, at least in the early going. And we'll kind of wait and see what the wins and losses dictate. There's going to be this strange dynamic where if you say anything negative about Dion, you're considered not a Dion guy. You're just like not a Dion guy and you're not letting him be himself. That that's going to mm-hmm. be a thing. That's dumb. That's so dumb. I hate that in so many ways. Like, I love Lauren more than anything in the world. Okay, does that mean I can't ever push back on anything she says? Like, no. What What are we doing here? We don't have to just unconditionally support every single thing that somebody says at some point. And I've been getting into this with with Bamba fans and Georgia fans about this. And like, you realize that like when Nick Saban and Kirby smart mess up on occasion, they're going to get called out. It is okay. You don't have to 100% agree with everything that they say and do just because you like the work that they're doing. You can separate. Dude, I, I love that. Whenever like, there's a clearly wrong call that like Kirby, or, like the fake punt with Kirby. It's like, Oh, you think you're smarter than Kirby smart. It's like, no, but come on, man. Like, they're not perfect. Like, same thing with Saban. Like, when you talk to Bama fans, it's like, oh, this guy over here is smarter than Nick Saban. It's like, no, but nobody, we're all human. Even Nick Saban would tell you he makes mistakes. Well, maybe he wouldn't, but because, you know, someone around Nick Saban would tell you he makes mistakes. And I don't think Dion's going to be that guy that's going to tell you he's going to make a mistake. And that's probably right. going to frustrate people that much more. If Dion makes comments like when he called out Nick Suss for calling him by his first name, oh, yes, I, I will call out Dion. Because in an instance like that, where Dion's defense is, well, you never call Nick Saban Nick, Dion's entitled to his opinion. His opinion's wrong. His opinion's just flat out wrong. People call coaches by their first name in the media because coaches are human beings. Some also call him coach. It's not a universal thing, but maybe he just wasn't used to that. Maybe he's used to being called Coach Prime by everybody in his orbit. I get it. I understand that. Maybe he feels differently about that now. I don't know. He's not going to be the guy that's going to be like, you know what? I made that comment two years ago and I called out that reporter and it went viral for that. No, that's that's not Dion. That's not who he's going to be. You know, it would be a really good piece of viral content from like the SEC media team. If they walked around media day and did like that TikTok, you know, have you seen the TikTok where they call teachers by their first name? Oh no. Yeah. There's a, there's a TikTok where they walk up to teachers and just be like, Hey Jenny. Hey Pam. And they're like, what did you just call me? It would be great to do that at SEC media days. You'd be like, Hey Nick. Hey, Kirby, and just have to like look at the camera and be like, what did you just, what, who are you? <laughs> but I, but that's a lot more popular than people realize. Yeah. Teachers probably get that way less than coaches do. That's actually really, I mean, but yeah, because it's children. Yeah, you're right. Like, if we're both grown men, like, I'm not going to call you Mr. Smart, you know? I'm a 33-year-old man. Right. I'm not calling you coach. You're not my right. coach. I, I'm so, like, I'm going to, I'm going to call you Kirby. I'm Zach Arnett. You're two years older than me. I'm going to oh, call gosh. you Zach. All right. Like that's if I'm talking about you to somebody else, and this doesn't need to be a whole thing, but no, right. Yeah. If, if I'm talking about a coach <clears throat> to a player or something like that, like if we have Devin Leary on these airways, we're like coach Stoops says, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to refer to him as coach Stoops because that's how he refers to him. So I'm not going to be like, Hey, what'd you think of Mark's decision? Because he doesn't call Mark. He's going to be like, who the hell is Mark? What are you talking right, about? Yeah. So understand your surprise. But anyways, 
that's not going to be the stuff that determines whether or not Dion succeeds as a head coach. It's just going to be headlines. It's going to be filler. That's what it's going to be in a weird way. Maybe nobody is going to change their opinion on Dion. Maybe, maybe that's just locked in right now because he's been a household name for three decades. You kind of feel how you feel about him. If you're a Dion guy, all right, maybe you're not, maybe you're somewhere in the middle. This probably isn't going to change. I'd like to think that my opinion of him as a head coach can be changed and kind of evolve as we see him make these key decisions because that's what we like to do. That's what we like to be able to, yes, you can say it's playing the results or you can just say, we call it like we see it. I'm going to try and call it like I see it with Dion. And that's not necessarily like this thing where, you know, I, I expect him to be perfect all the time. I, I don't think he's going to care how people feel about him. I am just really interested to see how he handles these tough moments because odds makers are telling us he's going to have a lot of those. The over under mm-hmm. originally was set at five and a half, five and a half regular season wins again for a team with one bowl game in the last 15 years, not too shabby, not that bad. And then they had the post spring game exodus and the win total dropped to four and a half. Um, probably because they have to face 11 power five opponents this year. Schedule's Oof. brutal. Yeah, not ideal. Uh, really rough timing to have to go face TCU on the road to, to kick off the season. But yeah, they are in a really interesting spot this first year in which a lot of opinions will be formed. And Colorado fans should feel excellent. I don't think they could be the ultimate good vibes team of the offseason, though, because if you're over under is less than six wins, eh, that's not quite at that level. But Colorado definitely had some vibes. If you watch the spring game, that, that was incredible to see the year-to-year transformation but i can't wait to see what's next i looked at the future schedule will uh i had to i just had to shout out fbs schedules love that site underrated site i spend way too much time way too much time on that it's it's a it's a tremendous resource but if Mm -hmm. if you've seen already no dion does not currently have an sec matchup until 2028 who knows if we're all going to be here if the robots have taken over by that point but 2028 through 2031 Florida home and home zoo home and home. I don't know that Dion's going to be here. That would be entering year six for him at Colorado. I don't know. We'll see. What's your whole read on this thing though, about everything that has gone into this start, what Colorado did to transition to Dion, his handling of the roster, just all of it going into year one. First off, I just want to say they would be a nightmare team to play eventually, like in a bowl game. If you're one of those like struggling SEC teams that finished with like six wins, fired their coach or whatever, you just end up having to play angry Deion Sanders, who's just like, Mm. I better not have you guys quitting on me to go pro. I have a longer pro career than any of you guys. He's just screaming on the sidelines. And you're like, dude, our equipment managers, our coach, please leave us alone. (laughs) Anyway, I'll say this about the Dion thing. You know, I'm always the guy who is looking for like the undertones of stuff, looking at socioeconomic, racial, whatever. I think the hesitancy with Dion is like to hire Dion. I think we're seeing it. It's, it's It's not really the fact that he's black or African American. It's the fact that he is a guy who has made no bones about the fact that he does not want to fit in. He wants to fit out. And I think that if you're an AD at a school, like you were talking about, like Auburn, like Florida, um, I don't think your number one objective is winning football games. I think your number one objective is, number one, making money, right? And how do you do that? You keep boosters happy. We've talked about it over and over again. So I think that's why a lot of these bigger schools were hesitant to bring in a guy like Dion because 
You're right. At Colorado, it's a perfect situation. You come in, you have one game, and there's no pushback you can have. You were trash. You were basura. You were sorry. You know, there was nothing. Basura. basura. They were, yeah, you were sorry. And so you can't, in good conscience, be like, we do things the Colorado way. It's like, brother, the Colorado way, like you said, one bowl game in 15 years. I don't want to do things the Colorado way. You hired me to not do things the Colorado. I am a DB from Florida. I don't care what you did up here, okay? And so point being, um, I don't think that like there's so much pride in college football. I don't see that would work in a place, like I said, Auburn, LSU, um, Florida, where guys have so much pride in where they went to school and the football program. And even if they've fallen in hard times, they feel like they're a move away. Where with Colorado, they clearly weren't. Um, I, I want to say, too, like on that note, you know, I think even in the transfer portal era, I think it's fair to say this is the biggest excess we'll maybe ever see, barring some type of scandal. Like if a team has a bad scandal where they lose, you know, bowl eligibility or something like that. SMU, I, the death penalty. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And and they were basically given a free transfer portal after the death penalty. It yep. was the first time you've seen something like this. We got to just transfer for free. That would happen now in a heartbeat if a school got, and we, we don't even talk about that because it hasn't happened yet. But even like, dude, like the Bama textbook thing that full, that Phil Fulmer like allegedly ratted on them. If that happened now, you know, guys would be immediately out the door because they have immediate eligibility. And so point being outside of something like that, I think this is the biggest excess we'll see. Um, And this is, it's a big test case, right? It's a big test case for people that have all kinds of agendas. And to your point, that's why, you know, people get so dug in with, are you anti or pro? You know, it, it's almost, <laughs> it's, it's an example whenever guys get polarized, you know, especially when there is a racial component. It's almost like the Lamar Jackson thing. It's like when you criticize the playoff performances, now sure. it's like, oh, you don't like Lamar Jackson. You, Oh, you think he's a running back. It's like, no, I'm nuanced. I want to see a little bit more. I want to give a fair criticism. Same thing as the Nick Saban thing. Oh, you think you're smarter than Nick Saban? No. People want to be black and white about things, and it's really a lot of gray in this world we live. Uh, crazy thought. But yeah, I think that I love the hire for Colorado. I, now, I don't know if I would love the hire for, um, for, like I said, a bigger school, but this is why he's a chance to prove that. I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but I do think the stuff at the school he had, uh, Prime Prep Academy, I do think that matters. I, I think that, you know, he started a school and promised a bunch of stuff to people and ended up kind of falling. I mean, the school just imploded. They lost their accreditation. A lot of kids were left uh, hanging. And that was probably, you know, he would say an older version of him and everybody has a chance to make mistakes and learn from them. And I understand that. And I, you know, hope and believe he's a changed man. But at the same time, if you're a big AD, I think that type of stuff hangs over your head because another responsibility as an AD is to not get in trouble, right? And so I think that when you start to look at what ADs are really about, you know, really, because they talk about academics, they talk about culture, da, da, da. really it's about, can I keep my job as an athletic director? And I think that Dion is so, like, there's no mid option of Dion Sanders. There's not. There, there, there's no, like, Oh, like, you know, um, there's no like Will Muschamp, like we hang out, we win like eight games, nine games. It's like a we win four games or we win 10 games. I don't see this Dion plan doing anything but one of those two. You know what I'm saying? And if they win 10 games once or twice, he might even be out of there. You, you well, look like you disagree. Well, I, I, okay, so I disagree slightly on that. I, okay. I think they can be... I think they can be one of those teams that's like seven and five, eight and four. Occasionally they catch one of those those Pac-12 powers on a bad day and they yeah. have one of these great moments and like they can become that. But but the expectations are, and we've talked about this before, the expectations should not be, oh, well, we've seen Colorado win a national championship, so they have national championship upside. Get out of here with that. Oh yeah. No. That that is that that is basura right there. <laughs> that 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 take is trash. Don't tell me a team that won a national championship in 1990 has national championship upside in the year 2023 or in the year 2028. Okay. I don't, don't want to tell hear Nebraska that. fans. They'll cry. I mean, 
look, at least Nebraska had moment. No, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Um, I'll say this about expectations. Because I've been asked about this too. Like, what should expectations be? What should his upside be considered? Because obviously he's not coming in here of the hope of, oh yeah, maybe if he gets to six wins in consecutive years, that that's the expectation. Mm-hmm. But I think getting to a place where you can be an eight, nine win team, that is a realistic ceiling to look at for this program as it currently stands. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I think that, that there is a, a, a middle ground there in which an athletic director is on board with it. Where, where I was, I thought you were going in the direction of saying like, there is no mid in terms of being fully aligned. You're either right. fully aligned with Dion or you're not. And that's right. just, there, there is context that's going to be needed for every single season and what he's doing. But I still think that you're looking at a program. If you're a Colorado fan right now, you're thinking, man, it would be awesome to be able to just get to a New Year's Six Bowl game one day or to maybe have some sort of a playoff chance in November when the field expands to 12, right? That's right. kind of what we're talking about here in terms of those expectations and what he could potentially get to. Not year one. We're not talking about that year no, one. for sure. But some people are going to want to say, well, Dion said he was going to come in here and win championships. It's like, well, dude's not going to come in there and say, let's go to the Tax Slayer Bowl. Not right. doing that. Yeah. Nobody's doing that. Book your tickets in Tampa or for the, for, no, 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 no. I was about to say for the, uh, for the citrus bowl boys. That's We're Orlando. Ready. Come on. You got to get your Florida bowl games. You've, you've confused me now. Cause they renamed the Outback bowl. What's it called? Well, the Outback bowl is the ReliQuest bowl. That was the ReliQuest. See, I was mid reference. You cut me off. Now I forgot my Florida bowl games all over the place. ReliQuest, Tampa, citrus, Reliquest. Orlando, and then tax slayer is in Jacksonville. Yes. Anyway, I promise I knew that before you said it. But I do want to say this because this if this did, did come across as it seeming like I was anti Dion. I love, love, love this hire for Colorado. I mean, I think they knocked this out of the park. And and all I was saying is that basically it's either going to work or it's not. There, there's not a slow burn here. You know, either you get in all this great talent, they're aligned, you're aligned, you get up and go. And to your point, I mean, making a New Year's Six bowl game as Colorado is like dang near unheard of in the last 15 years, like you were talking about. So I think that would be a higher end expectation. So yeah, I think that, you know, that's a total rebuild. And and I think that he's one of the better guys to do it and to do it in a, in a really like honest way to do it in like a, Hey man, I'm not going to waste your time. Don't waste mine. I don't think you guys are good. And I think most coaches, you know, not enough is made about coaches that give lip service to kids. You know, we always talk about these kids that back off on their commitments, talking about recruits and transfers and all that, but not enough is made for coaches that promise kids things that don't deliver on them. And I think that at least Dion was honest. I'll give him credit on that. At least he said, you know, here's what I'm doing here, bringing in my son. I'm bringing in this video team. We're going to, you know, we're going to do this my way. And if you don't like that, and if I don't like you, you're out of here and that's it. Don't get too comfy here. You got to earn your spot if you want to stay. And what a power move by those four guys to just be like, I'm taking a gap year, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, point being, uh, yeah, I, I love, love, love this hire for them. And it generates buzz, generates social impressions. And it, it it gets the talent in the door. And like we talked about, that is the most important thing in college football, especially a place like Colorado that had no talent. You bring in talent and the world is, I mean, the world's your oyster. And he has proven he can do that quicker, okay, than almost anyone outside of like Brian Kelly. And I mean, honestly, like Kirby Smart took over in the non-transfer portal era. So right. he didn't even have the opportunity to do this. So really, it's like you're talking about kind of like uh, maybe Sonny, uh, Zach's at TCU, you could argue, but he didn't bring in that many guys. Like in terms of like, getting talent in for one year, like I, this is like greatness we're watching right now. Yeah, and I, I realized at right right after I said it that New Year's Six Bowl 
getting to a New Year's Six Bowl is just the playoff in the expanded field. So that's a, yeah. a dumb, dumb mental mistake by me. Yeah, seeing some of these pieces, because it, it's not just a bunch of cast-offs. I mean, there, there are some really good players that he's able been able to pick up. Even, you know, I know I've been been critical of that Arkansas defense, but I'm looking forward to seeing like, what does Jordan Dominic and Miles Slusher do at Colorado? Like what, what's it going to look like with, you know, the Travis Hunter thing, like is Travis Hunter going to become one of the best players in the country, you know, coming from, from Jackson state, obviously former number one overall recruit, like everybody's excited to see some of these individual performances. And then, Oh, by the way, like what's his son going to do at quarterback? Like, is, is, is he going to become like one of the best quarterbacks in college football? Like uh, there are a lot of individual storylines, but it's still going to be all about Dion and will, I cannot wait to see that first run out with Ralphie. With Ralphie. It's against the thing about too. Dion. He, yeah. Oh, let's go. I mean, that's such a historic rivalry, man. Yeah, I mean, talk about, you know, 1990, that team had to go through Nebraska. And yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Dion. Dude look, has sweat, has cool, has the image down. Like you said, walking out, when he rocks the all white with the big shades, I'm like, dog, I want to run through a wall for you. Like, he looks yep. like he... And like you said, he motivates people. He makes them feel good. He's such a great teacher, explainer of football, particularly the defense and defensive backs. I understand why all these great defensive backs, Carmody McLean, Travis Hunter, all these guys have said, we want to go work with Dion because it's not just about being a great player. You know, so many of these great players can't communicate these concepts. We know he can coach. We know he can communicate. We know he can teach fundamentals. And that's what makes him so one-of-one, so interesting because it's hard to put all that together to have that confidence to have, because the reason why most football coaches don't like talking to people is they only like talking about X's and O's and that's that style of stuff. And to have someone who can do both is so rare. He is going to be rare in every way, shape or form. And there will not be anybody, or there shouldn't be anybody that's trying to replicate what Deion Sanders is doing at Boulder. All right, let's kick it to our interview with Ryan Brown of the next round. Great conversation with him. I think we talked a lot of Brian Harson for a subject that was, you know, very much at the forefront of the SEC conversation not that long ago, but I think a little bit of a different perspective and uh, dug into that, dug into some Hugh Freeze things and a little bit about the Alabama offense. So here is Ryan Brown. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Ryan Brown of the next round. Ryan, you did something so unbelievably rare in this business that nobody is ever willing to do. They just want to dig their heels in even more. You did a 180 after receiving more information about something. Can you take me back to a month ago, well, a little over a month ago, uh, by the time people are listening to this, when you get on air and you squash the Tyler Buckner to Alabama rumors, only to then, what was it, like a day later, find out, oh, actually, this is happening and what I said yesterday, totally disregard it. Yeah, I mean, um, so when he first did the transfer portal, I think everybody immediately was like, oh, Tommy Reese, his former coach is in Tuscaloosa. Here's this guy that's free right now. And I, we just went on the show like, y'all, listen, they're, they're first of all, both Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson are in front of Tyler Buckner. I think Alabama's got a better quarterback, probably two better quarterbacks in their quarterback room right now. And it's just so lazy to assume because Tommy Reese is now in Tuscaloosa, Tyler Buckner is automatically going to end up there. Those words literally weren't 24 hours old before I was proven wrong. And I'm like, all right, I'll accept it. I mean, we have a phrase from the famous video, put it in reverse, Terry, on our show. So I had to put it in reverse, Terry, and had to back up and say I'm wrong. And, um, you know, obviously – Tommy Reese scanned that quarterback room and he said, I think Tyler Buckner is as good or better than, than, than any four that I've got in this room. And see, that was the whole thing, Connor. Had Alabama been short on depth, I could have even seen it then. 
But that was one of the reasons I was so strong about it because I thought Ty Simpson would have won this job by now. And Alabama's got plenty of quarterback depth. They got four guys in that room. So by virtue of the fact that he's coming in there, I think it shows you Tommy Reese thinks he can play. What are the chances you give him to win the to win the job? Are we talking six out of ten, seven out of ten? Is like with ten being the most likely? Yeah, I was going to say sixty percent, so I'd go six out of ten. Like I think the 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 odds on favorite, even though Jalen Milrow got time last year in the Arkansas game, and he started the Texas A and M game when Bryce Young went out hurt against Arkansas and then was out hurt against A and M. Um, you know, even though that happened last year. I think everybody assumed Ty Simpson was going to take this job and win it. And it didn't clearly happen in spring football. And I think by virtue of the fact that Buckner transferred in, it shows you that it didn't, it wasn't just that we didn't think it happened, that it physically did not happen in spring football. So by virtue, you know, of the fact that he comes in there, I think that, that Reese has probably not promised him the job. And I don't think Saban would ever do that. But has promised him, if you'll come in and do what I saw you doing at Notre Dame, you have an exceptional chance of winning this job. I would go six out of ten, and then I would split, obviously, the remainder 40% between Milrow and Simpson. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go six out of ten on that. So, then he's your favorite. He's your favorite to, to win the job. I'm sitting with be. Ty Simpson. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I, I look at this Alabama offense, and I think the last – five years they've almost traded places with the Alabama defense in that it used to be with Saban's defense you just never worry about oh they're losing this guy they're losing this guy and I think everyone was prepared to feel that way about the Alabama offense coming into this year but then you know the spring game was let's call it underwhelming and then you know the Buckner move it sort of confirmed they're not settled with their quarterback depth do you think Alabama is able to successfully kind of pivot from that place with Bryce where it was the team who became too reliant on its quarterback to now be the team that can just kind of plug in a, a couple of different guys and make it work? Yeah, I think they'll have to. And and where I think that will start is up front in that Alabama offensive line. You know, Eric Wolford came from Kentucky to Tuscaloosa, and last year was year one, and, and you know, it was mixed results. The one thing you hear, you didn't hear a ton about, like, quarterback praise from spring camp. But the one thing you did hear from almost everybody you talked to was improved offensive line play. And I don't think you're ever going to get back to the way Bama was in 9, 10, 11, 12, when they could just line up three yards in a cloud of dust if they wanted to. Uh, but I do think you'll get back to more of a physical run game right now with Alabama football. And that is only going to help whoever the quarterback is. Quarterback's best friend is a solid run game. So you're going to get help from the run game. So whoever it is that is back there, I think it's going to have the best offensive line Alabama's had in a couple of years and the best run game Alabama's probably had since Najee Harris. So um, I, I think that is that is going to help whoever it is back there. So, yeah, so much of the last two years was Alabama getting themselves in a complete bind and Bryce Young bailing Alabama out of that bind. Um, and and I, I think that'll be going. Now, I will say this. I will give you this caveat. Um, there was this, this guy uh, that I read a lot of that wrote about um, – Oh boy, uh, Tyler Buckner's numbers in high school, and uh, I was completely unaware of. I, I learned this from Connor O'Dara of Saturday Down South. One of my favorites is that basically Tyler Buckner started one year. He lost his COVID year. He got injured, and boy, that one year was a six thousand yard season. So I, I bring all that up to number one, butter you up, and then to number two, point out that I think this might be the best dual threat quarterback Nick Saban has had. You know, Tua and Bryce Young could both run the ball effectively. But neither one of them really wanted to. 
And I think Buckner's got a bet, uh, a chance of being the best dual threat quarterback that, that Saban has had. Counterpoint, Jalen Hurts. I think Buckner can be a better passer than what Hurts was at Alabama. Really? So while Hurts might be, yeah, I mean, so what gets forgotten about Hurts, because he's now the highest paid quarterback uh, in the NFL and, um, you know, was what I guess a Heisman finalist in, in, in Norman, is that starting basically in the 2016 National Championship game, off and on throughout the entire 2017 season, Alabama's pass offense was not great. True. To the point that there were a lot of people, a lot of people in 2017, they were like, "This Tua Tagovailoa kid would completely change Alabama's offense if Saban would ever go to it." And it really showed its head. If you'll go back and look, the numbers aren't terrible for his game 2017 in Starkville, but Alabama had a horrible offensive night that night in Starkville. They couldn't throw the ball effectively, and he led them on a game-winning drive at the end and basically basically snatched victory out of the jaws of defeat. And then it caught up with them in the Iron Bowl, and Alabama lost in the Iron Bowl. What could have been a much worse game? Gus Malzahn kind of took his foot off the pedal. And then everybody knows what happened in that 2017 National Championship game. They were warring on offense until Tua came in and saved the day. And then it was his job moving forward. I think Buckner could potentially be a better passer than what Hurts was at Alabama. Maybe not what he is now, but what he was is at Alabama. Even 2016, he wasn't bad. He was not no, bad he as wasn't. a passer. But I, I see what you're saying in that, like, okay, you're going to have more of that balance, more of that reliance. I'm still not quite there with Buckner, but I do think that they brought him in for that specific reason and kind of understanding that no matter who's the starter, you're going to rely a lot more on that quarterback running game. That is going to be a part of the offense in a way that it has not been since Jalen. It just simply kind of has to be for Alabama this year. You look at uh, the situation at Auburn. You guys recently spent some time with Hugh Freeze. Kirby Smart as well. I love LT just sneaking that question in at the very end, like post-interview, like, Kirby, how much longer you got when it's like it's over and he's yeah. already kind of like taking his guard down? Saw that making the rounds, love that. Um, I actually think all the questions we have about Hugh Freeze in this role, like I, he's come into this job with the right approach, with how he's handled the portal, how he's talked about realistic expectations. Do you get the sense from him – that because it's freezing, because he's been in the SEC, that he's coming in with such a better approach and an understanding of what's ahead than Brian Harson did? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Brian Harson was a fish out of water from day one. It was such an odd cultural hire. I mean, really the closest Brian Harson had been to the SEC was Texas offensive coordinator, and obviously that was well before Texas was a gleam in the SEC's eye. So he just didn't know this region. It was a weird job. It was just a poor cultural fit. And frankly, Lane Kiffin would have been a poor cultural fit, I think, at, at, at Auburn. Uh, I think that's where Hugh Freeze is a win in the, in the hire is because he's a good cultural fit. Now, that doesn't win you football games directly. It does help you in recruiting, helps you in fundraising, NIL efforts. And that's one thing Hugh Freeze has done very, very well. Um, and I, I would say of Hugh Freeze that he underst- he's got a better shot of turning this around quickly than in years past because of the transfer portal. As of us talking right now, he's got 18 kids coming out of the portal, including Peyton Thorne, who I know we haven't gotten to this yet, would probably be the odds-on quarterback favorite at Auburn right now out of the portal. So he has hit the transfer portal, and he has stacked guys in there because this was not a good roster that he took over. Uh, This was probably a bottom quarter roster in the Southeastern Conference. 
Uh, and he has improved it through the transfer portal and through some of the work he did, you know, at the end of the signing class right after he got hired. Are we ever going to find out why Hugh Freeze wasn't hired two years ago? Because I know everybody talks about Sankey and the unofficial ban and all these different things, but was it really just as simple as you needed to talk a few of those higher ups at Auburn into Hugh Freeze? Because this seems like, and it feels like you're trying to just undo what you did a couple years ago. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you had a, you had a couple, you had a road booster and a rogue athletic director that kind of wanted to leave their mark and, didn't want to follow what the good old boy network thought. And boy, they left their mark. All right. I mean, Brian Harson, they went well outside the box to make that higher. Um, I, you know, look, he was asked about that in his very first press conference. And he said he wasn't aware of a ban. And Greg Sankey has downplayed the ban. Um, it, it seems odd because there was also a rumor at the same time that Alabama wanted to hire him in either an analyst position or maybe an on-the-field coach position and didn't do it. So it would lend credence to the fact that there was someone someone in the Southeast Conference office saying no. I, and I'd always heard, Connor, that it was as long as Ole Miss is fighting through sanctions, we're not going to have the coach that got them in that situation being on another SEC sideline succeeding while they're fighting through it. Uh, that's what I'd always been told is that the reason he wasn't hired at Auburn or wasn't hired at Alabama. Now, it would make more sense at Alabama. The thing at Auburn went a little bit deeper, too, because I do think you had a fight within the Auburn quote-unquote family, among guys that wanted to kick the old school and guys that were like, this guy fits our old school mold. He's he's along the lines of a Pat Nye or a Tommy Tuberville or somebody like that. Yeah, and I think that's that's the part that, you know, you can look at the timeline and it kind of blends together when you look at the the post old Miss sanction timeline and say, well, okay, like he wasn't, you know, he wasn't able to get this job or he wasn't able to get this job. But it, it, at the same time, it's like, it's a little bit different post 2020 when we were talking about him, you know, at Liberty and, and Ole Miss isn't necessarily facing those sanctions anymore. I, I love sliding doors. I think it's really interesting. I've been wondering about them with Harson lately. Some say that he was never given a chance to succeed. I'm sure he would probably agree with that notion. But now that we're not kind of in the heat of the moment, and maybe we have a little bit better perspective, what's the biggest mistake that Harson made that could have totally changed his time at Auburn? Because I, I don't think it's as simple as if he had gone to a couple of more functions, he would have been totally fine. Like there's got to be that one thing where it could have set him on a different path. And I have a couple of theories on that, but I'm interested to see if you have some as well. Uh, well, I tell you, one would be uh, not calling an outside run in the Iron Bowl that allowed Tank Bigsby to go out of bounds. No. Because, yeah, no. I mean, think about it. If if they run that ball between the tackles and burn clock, Alabama just doesn't have time. I mean, it was a matter of time. If, if, if – uh, Jordan Battle is not able to get Tank Bigsby out of bounds. Alabama loses that game, and they don't play for the national championship. Can I now look? Can I interject real quick? Yeah. I wrote, yeah. If you if you're okay, so that point is if, on the play calling. It's 100 percent fair. I did like a Zapruder film breakdown of that play and Jordan Battle. And the, I have an entire article on SaturdayDownSouth.com. I kid you not about like why Tank Bigsby is not the person to blame because it's an unbelievable tackle. And if you look at the angle that he it made yep. to be able to make it. Yep. But I will stand corrected in that. If he just runs it up the gut, you're actually right. So you have talked me into that. It's the play call that was probably the issue. Well, and I have always said to agree with you that Jordan Battle doesn't get enough credit for that play. Everybody yes. focuses on Tank Bigsby running out of bounds. He only ran out of bounds because Jordan Battle was making a play on him. But to to our point, if, if, if Tank Bigsby's between the hashes 
there's nothing Jordan Battle can do to get him out of yep. bounds. So, so, you know, they, they go in and win that iron ball, and that changes his trajectory a little bit. But to the point that you were bringing up, um, he didn't recruit well. He was not a guy. He wanted to be what Nick Saban is in that Nick Saban has a select number of public appearances he makes. By and large, they're the same every year. You know which ones they are. He's not a guy that's going to go to the Tuscaloosa Christmas tree lighting. He's not a guy that is, you know, he's just, he's not that guy. Nick Saban is a guy that is in a football world. He's ensconced in that. And it is very tough to crack that outer shell of Nick Saban. Every coach probably wants to be that, but not every coach has earned that spot. Nick Saban has. And I think Brian Carson came in. He wanted to be that guy at Auburn. And he was already operating. He was a very unpopular hire in some areas. The fans were going to give him a chance. But the power boosters did not like the hire because it had nothing really to do with Carson and more to do with the way the hire went down without them kind of giving their approval and someone coming to kiss their ring and get their, get their approval. So he was already operating with a couple of strikes. And if you want to not you know, show up to some of the same things that Gus Malzahn was always at and Tommy Tuberville was always at and Gene Chizik was always at, you know, and you don't show up for some of those, buddy, you better win a lot of games. And he didn't do that right away. And he didn't beat Alabama. And then it started off bad. And he got drilled by Penn State. So that snowball was just rolling. And it, it, there was a point, that Penn State game, the second half of that Penn State game was the point of no return. Once Penn State ran Auburn out of Jordan-Hare Stadium, that was it, was it was a foregone conclusion. It wasn't a matter of if, it was when. I have one that's it's gonna it's gonna reek of a little bit of revisionist history, but hear me out on this. It's super okay. simple. And Auburn fans might not like it. Georgia fans might not like it. Kenny Dillingham was Bo Nix's OC his freshman year at Auburn. And that was when yep. Gus is retaking over play calling duties, new Gus 2019 going into that true freshman season with Bo Nix, different identity with that team, with Derek Brown, with Marlon Davidson, with the way that they were going to be able to operate. You knew that. But if you had simply brought back Kenny Dillingham in 2021 instead of hiring Mike Bobo. Because let's remember that Kenny Dillingham spends one year at Florida State. He's working with Mike Norvell. But if you're Brian Harson, you say, I'm going to turn it over to Kenny Dillingham. I don't care that he doesn't have this rich SEC experience. That's what he was trying to get on board on his staff. Brings in Derek Mason. He's like, all right, I need to load up on all these SEC guys. But if he was willing to just say, give me the best guy for my offense. Just give me the best guy for my offense and takes a chance on Kenny Dillingham. We saw how that played out at Oregon last year where Bo Nix gets to reunite with him in 2022 and he becomes one of the 10 best quarterbacks in college football. Is that a fair thing to look back and wonder about that sliding door of simply not hiring Mike Bobo and having another new offense for Bo Nix and simply going with a bit of familiarity, even though it was more of a wild card? Okay, so that's a great point. I never really thought of that. And keep in mind, if you consider that a mistake and it's a legitimate you know, discussion, is that a mistake or not? You double down on that by hiring Austin Davis, who never really took the job. Well, he took the job, but never kept the job, right? He was in and out so quickly. So now you've got turmoil there. You end up with Mike Bobo. It just wasn't a good fit. And the weird thing is people are seem to be excited about the fit in Athens, bad fit in Auburn. You know, I think some of that's going to have to do with the roster you're coaching, right? But, yeah, if you had not just decided, hey, by and large, we're just going to flush this whole thing out. We're going to start from scratch outside of, you know, the random Carnell Williams holdover and things like that. And maybe you had said, okay, what was this previous staff doing right? You know, what did they have headed in the right direction? And that's the other thing, too. He and Bo Nix got 
got started off, it just never felt like they got started off on the wrong foot. It got benched, remember, Bo Nix did for TJ Finley, and it just never felt like there was this cohesion between those two. And there were always there was always speculation that Bo Nix's dad, Patrick, who had moved. So for those that don't know the geography, Patrick Nix was kind of in North Alabama or in Central Alabama as a high school football coach, and he took a job at Central Phoenix City, which is a powerhouse program in the state of Alabama, but it's also a stone's throw from Auburn. So he was kind of in the community there, and there was always this this suggestion that Patrick Nix, the former Auburn quarterback, now Central Phoenix City coach, that that family and Brian Harson were butting heads, and it, 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 it filtered down to Bo as well. So that was just a mess from the very beginning, and, and it just seemed like those two were never on the same page. Agreed. And it is, again, it is revisionist history to be like, oh, hey, yeah. this guy who's after two years who really didn't look the part just yet, have him kind of handpick his offensive coordinator, somebody he's already worked with, probably not the move that Brian Harson was going to make. But an interesting thing that I was kind of thinking about nonetheless. Um, so as, as much as there's this part of me that kind of feels bad for for the spot that Harson was put in, I am forever grateful at the moment that it gave us on the internet, on the next round specifically, that firing happened on Halloween, and my yes. God, Jim Dunaway in full Ken doll costume is, I will always think of, of that synonymous with the Brian Harson firing of Jim Dunaway sitting there trying to break this down in full Ken costume. I, I, I laugh Jim, uncontrollably whenever I look at that image. I know. I know. And we knew, you know, the whole running joke. So we've, since we moved to a video platform, we've decided, uh, and it's only been two years, but hey, we're let's dress up for Halloween. We'll have fun with it. Everybody will do a costume unveil. And uh, I can't even remember what Lance was. I was um, I was Tom Cruise in Top Gun, or a, a small facsimile thereof. Jim was Ken from Barbie and Ken. I cannot remember what Lance was, but we're all in full costume, full-on costume, and we're sitting here on set, and the story breaks. And the joke had been, two weeks leading up to it, you know something big is going to happen and force us in these ridiculous costumes to break a big story. And of course, it would be the Auburn coach getting fired. And it was almost laughable when the story came down because it was so predictable. Like if you were in Vegas betting on a day, you would have 100% bet on the day where we're dressed as complete fools and an Auburn football coach gets fired. I think Jim needs, needs to wear that every year. I do. Oh, God. It's just it's so unbelievably funny. The full the fact that he has the box around him, too. It's just perfect. Yeah. Oh, God. All right. Let me get you. Yeah, out it was incredible. This. Let me get you out of here with a, a prediction. Who wins an SEC title next between these four teams? Auburn, okay. Texas A&M, Texas, Oklahoma. Ooh. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, yeah, so, you know, you look at Auburn, they've got a history of actually, if you go back and look at coaches, um, um, it's going to take me a second. So Terry Bowden in his first year, Tommy Tuberville in his second year, Gene Chizik in his second year, Gus Malzahn in his first year. Uh, Brian Harson did not do it. But if you take Harson out of the mix, Auburn's got a history of coaches doing it very early in their tenure, either winning or playing for an SEC championship. Um, I don't have a ton of faith in Jimbo Fisher doing it. I just do think I? that is a – yeah, I think it's just a broken deal there, and it seems so uh, desperate and panicky to bring Bob Petrino in on that. I don't have a ton of faith in Sark, though – to be fair, we looked at um, last year, and they were a four-loss team. Those four losses were by 18 total points. They were really, really close last year. 
and had to deal with an injured quarterback in the Alabama game who calls Quinn Ewers to miss a couple starts. If you're full power in the Alabama game in that whole time, that's a different season for them. So I need to be fair, but I don't have a ton of faith in him. I don't really have a ton of faith in Brent Venables either. Um, that was such a bad year last year. I'm going to have to see that first. So I would narrow it down to Texas or Auburn. I'm just going to play history here, and I'm also going to play the fact that Hugh Freeze, uh, another part of that interview uh, that you mentioned with Hugh Freeze or Kirby Smart, our Hugh Freeze interview, Lance brings up that the uh, fourth and 32 play, whatever it was, the craziest, one of the craziest plays I've ever seen in college football. As Hugh pointed out, I've always said this about that play, Arkansas and Ole Miss. Ole Miss wins the game, they go to Atlanta. Uh, Hunter Henry throws the ball back over his head blindly. There are 21 other players on the field. The one guy, the one guy Ole Miss doesn't want to pick the ball up is Alex Collins. <laughs> that's, that's the one player it bounces perfectly to. He catches it in stride and runs for a first down. Uh, that's when you do Ole Miss ain't getting to Atlanta, my man. And I got confidence Hugh Freeze can do that Auburn. Auburn's got a history of it. I think it'll take more than that first or second year, but I'll say Auburn is the first one back. Okay, last last one then. Um, by the time people are listening to this, I'll be a father. Your best dad. Oh, congrats. So somebody gave me this piece of advice before, um, before they knew I wasn't going to really work for a living and I was going to have this job, the job like you and I have. Uh, and the best piece of advice someone had given me is a fire. There's, there's going to be a couple. All right. I, actually, I may give you several pieces here. Um, somebody told me once the only people that will ever remember that you worked late to better your career are your kids. Mm. And, and yeah, and that is, that is a really good piece of advice. I think the only people that ever remember that you work late to better your career, your kids. So, you know, th there's that balance you got to have, like, I want to work hard and provide everything I can for my kids, but if I'm not present for them, uh, you know, it's that vicious circle, right? What am I really doing? Um, you know, the other thing is I grew up in a family that loved each other very much and I knew it, but we just didn't vocalize it. So I made a pledge that when my kids were born, I'm going to tell them every day of their life that I love them. And to my knowledge, I haven't missed a day yet. And I've got a daughter that's about to graduate high school. So we got a good 18 years of, 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 of data on that. And I think I've told her I love her every day of her life, whether she knew I was telling her as a little kid or not. So, and, and I don't mean to speak ill of my parents. My parents love me very much. And I knew that we just didn't vocalize it a lot. Um, but I, I tell you, the advice I gave my oldest daughter, if, you, if she were on this podcast, and my younger one is learning it, but she's only a third grader. But my oldest daughter is a senior in high school, 18 years old. And if, 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 she, if you, Connor, said, Anna Kate, give me the advice, your, two pieces of advice your dad's giving you, she would tell you right away, uh, the easiest thing in life to control is your attitude. You either bring a good attitude or a bad attitude. It's the easiest thing in life to control. Nobody wants to deal with bad attitude people. Everybody wants to deal with good attitude people. And never worry about criticism from someone you wouldn't ask for advice. So I've tried to hammer that home to my daughter. If you worry about criticism from people you don't care enough about their wisdom to ask for advice, that's just silly. Like if you wouldn't ask them for advice, don't care, don't worry about their criticism. So there's, there's like four pieces of information right there um, that both as a parent and inform and, and advice I gave my kids that I think I would, uh, I would strongly suggest as a father. You, you should write a children's book or, or something, man. Like, <laughs> you just knocked out a chapter right there. That was great. Gosh, love it. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. We will, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking very, very soon. Appreciate the time as always, man.
Yeah, always uh, love talking to you, man. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Um, Will, do you want to start or you want me to start? I can start. Um, so we've talked about personal life. <clears throat> we've talked about relationships. I want to do a career one uh, really quick. So this isn't a um, this isn't like something about internships, paid or unpaid or whatever. I genuinely believe that the best way to make it in your field is to hustle and grind however you can get it. If it's in your free time, you know, especially with the internet technology the way it is now, you can always have a side hustle. You can always Reps. get your would you say reps. reps exactly that's what people don't want to tell you there's this whole current out there on social media about like don't do anything for free it's like okay but no one wants to hire you with no reps and so you need to go find those reps those ten thousand hours wherever you can get them so i'm not sitting here talking about don't work for free my what was i thinking is about don't work for fraud smarmy companies i did Ooh. that i did that early before sds so when i was in college i was working for two different companies i won't you know, mention their names. Well, one of them I will because it's funny. It was called Your What's Happening with a Z. And it was called Your Your What's Happening. Like the the What's the, with a Z? What's with a Z. And that's the resume that I sent to Kevin to get hired at SDS was like your what's happening. And <laughs> um, but but you know, it got me in the door and it put me in a situation where I was covering the magic because I was at all these events. I started talking to people. So more of the story is be at the events, you know what I'm saying? Be around the people, do the networking, but you don't have to work with these companies. And I was shooting I mean, I was shooting 500, 600 photos a night, turning them around same day, like that night and and putting them online. Every photographer I've ever talked to, every media person I've ever talked to have said that was insane. And I was working. Um, yeah, dude, I was working more or less for free. I mean, the whole thing was like kind of a, hey, if you take photos of people uh, in the crowd, you can sell like portraits of them. Like you could give them a QR code and they could buy their own portraits. So every show I would like sell a couple of them, you know what I'm saying? Just to like make, but it was really just kind of a treadmill. It was like, oh, you're going to spend money getting there, but you're going to make like 50 or 60 bucks being there, but it's like gas and your time. And so point being, you know, don't, when you're in college and you start to get um, nervous about your future career opportunities, don't just panic and take whatever jobs are out there um that's going to end up setting you back and, and and like i said i was lucky because i was able to and honestly i'll just be honest with you you know if i was in a situation where i had to earn the money for my family or you know i was very lucky with my parents you know sending me you know some some money in college to where i didn't have to like like i had i had a job i had a job but i, I didn't have to like provide for my family i didn't have to be a you know be in the leadership role of my family and i've heard so many people that do in college and, and truly have to like contribute to their household i was lucky enough to be able to be a college kid so i was able to you know do that stuff on the side but point being you know don't let like if you're going to be a successful person you're going to work your butt off and two kinds of people are going to notice that. Well, technically three. Only one of them is good, right? The good ones are the people like you, Connor, the people that see how hard, you know, I work and and have always, you know, kind of carried myself and have brought that intensity, right? There's another group of people who are the people that don't work as hard, um, that are just happy to cash out and, you know, work a nine to five, go home to their family. And those people, when you kind of work the way that we do, start to get intimidated by you. Um, start to feel threatened because you're doing more, because you're starting to step on their toes because we're hungry and, and we need to get out there. And the other group of people is a group of people who want who sees how hard people like us work. And I'm not I'm not like 
pumping myself up. It's just something we've connected over that we make our careers kind of our lives and that we've said, you know, and you love Lauren, you love your family. And that's obviously about to be an even bigger part of your life. And and it's cool watching you grow and, you know, mature as a man. But one thing that bound us together early is how hard we hustled in the early part of our career, talking about, you know, you going to Nebraska and everything. But point being, the third group of people are the people that will see you hustle and will want to take advantage of you because they see how hungry yes. you are for opportunity. Okay. And so that's my only, you know, note with this story is that I was working there for man a year, year and a half, and I was so tired, man. I was doing I was doing MMA at the time and I was going to school and I had another job, like a regular job. And I was, you know, also at night, I was going out to these shows and taking all these pictures and I was so tired. Um, but you know, it's it's two separate pieces of advice. Be in the right places to get your foot in the door. So that part of it I wouldn't change for the world. But the other part of it is not everyone who wants to give you an opportunity has your best interest at heart, right? Just because like, like in so many guys I've talked to in the Facebook group, I'm not going to name names, but I've had so many conversations with people that want to get into our industry and ask us for advice. Just because someone, right. Just because someone gives you an opportunity does not mean they have your best interest at heart. You know, these days it's very common, you know, people want writers and they don't want to pay them. And so, you know, while you can get those reps and get your work seen, while you can get those photos, while you can get that graphic design, whatever you're going to do, you know, make sure it's benefiting you. Make sure you're getting something out of it because inside you want to say, oh, this person appreciates my work. This person, you know, validates me and, and, and makes me feel like I belong. But you got to think, what's their motivation? Are they getting free content? Are they getting something out of this relationship that's helping them more than me? So that's my thing. It's a very hard line to walk. When you are in that spot and you're trying to break into an industry of knowing what things are really helping you advance, what are good quality reps, mm-hmm. and when it eventually hits that point in which you have to be able to look in the mirror and saying, my reps are actually hurting me at this stage mm-hmm. because some people can make it can make it seem like you should never do an unpaid internship. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sitting here telling you how you should spend your time, how you should try and advance professionally, because I think honestly, a lot of unpaid internships, they're trying to they're they're elitist in a lot of ways. And I say oh, yes. that as somebody who has benefited from having Look, I had parents who were willing to, you know, I, I need a couple hundred bucks to be able to to pay rent for, exactly. for this month. I got a parent who's going to be able to do that and help me with my June rent mm-hmm. so that I can do this summer internship. Oh, they can foot me 50 bucks so I can go get groceries this week and I can pay them back without interest. I was in that spot and I benefited from that. And it allowed me to be able to say, I can hustle and do this unpaid internship. It wasn't unpaid. It essentially like when I was working triple a with indianapolis indians and this is going to get into like what i like a, a the timeline of my life that i wanted to talk about today but like i was at that place where i could look at the situation and say am i being pushed too hard from this this job this position no i'm providing something for them they are absolutely providing something for me even though this isn't like anything like you would look at what i was making in terms of the hours and all that and you'd be like that's ridiculous like why are you doing that I saw the benefit and I didn't see myself as being taken advantage of. Now, if you're in a spot like you're in and you're just like going to be cranking out like hundreds and hundreds of photos and you're giving like a real company content that they are using and they are just totally taking advantage of the system in your situation, that's when you need to be able to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing this for? What? Mm-hmm. what? I can't. There are certain things and that's what's so hard to figure out. And you're only going to know your situation. You got to use your own judgment to figure out what things are actually worth doing 
for free or next to free and what things are absolutely not. And there are a lot of people who will tell you that it's very black and white and it's not, and it's murky and it's hard to figure out because it depends on your experience. It depends on your industry, like all these different things go into it, but just be willing to at least ask that question and go into it and try and understand what your value is. And and one more thing really quick, uh, you know, just know, and, and this even relates back to your story about being on the hook. If you're in that situation where uh, you're in kind of like a sketchy job situation, getting out of that is going to be dramatic no matter what happens because you're dealing with someone in business who doesn't have your best interest at heart. So if you think, oh, I'm just going to hold on. I don't want to burn this bridge. I don't want to do whatever. And you're in a bad situation where someone's taking advantage of you. I will tell you with almost 100% certainty, when you try to get out of that and cut that source of free labor from that person, they will be mad at you. So don't factor that in. If you realize that your talents are not being used correctly, don't think, oh, I just want to keep this person happy. No, if it's at like ESPN or something and that person legitimately has connections, that's a different, you know, it's a different situation. But if it's a person who you're just like, oh, they gave me a chance. I don't want to upset them. Dude, do the best for you, man. It's hard. It's hard. And you're like, yeah. oh, you know, at an internship, they're they're asking me to like work a weekend or something like that. I should, it's like, no, sometimes you're just gonna have to do that. Like sometimes yeah. you will have to suck it up and you will have to do something mm-hmm. like that, even if you feel like the compensation isn't fair. Okay. So that summer junior year going into my senior year of college, I have talked about this before, but never really in depth. And it's sort of a continuation from my, my on the hook thing. And that summer, mm-hmm interning with Indianapolis Indians AAA team for the for uh for the Pittsburgh Pirates and driving from Bloomington to Indianapolis for all their home games which is about an hour each way to be able to do something like that so that summer I had this realization right around my 21st birthday I have uh I've hit a weight and I'm living a lifestyle that isn't particularly healthy and I need to have like a come to Jesus moment and figure this out right now and that was sparked from in my opinion, a look that I got from the girl who had me on her hook and she could deny this and she might, and she might not even know that she did this. And I'm not like blaming her and not mad at her by any stretch of the imagination, but I felt this look from her seeing me for the first time in six, seven months, wherein I had gained probably 10 to 15 pounds during that semester alone doing, you know, newspaper, like doing the sports editor for the newspaper and stuff. And so I made it a point to say, I'm going to start losing weight. I started running five miles every day. I had probably around a thousand calories a day. I was not eating the quantity that I should. I cut out soda. We'll call it soda just because I know the audience here. Ah. Cut out soda from the diet. 100% cold turkey. Didn't eat dessert. Didn't go out to eat try to control my meals, try to control my calories, try to control my my portions. And you weren't drinking beer. Uh, I was drinking some beer. <laughs> I was drinking a little beer. I didn't cut that out. Not that, not entirely, but I dialed it way back. Dialed yeah. it way back. So this entire summer, that's that's all I'm doing. I'm running five miles a day. We're building up. We're building up in the hills of Bloomington, which you know, anybody that's ever been there, I've been through there. A lot of hills to be able to kind of work through whatever. And um, I got to this place where like, First semester of senior year, I saw a picture of myself at like a at like a tailgate, and I was like thin, 
And I didn't even realize I had gotten that thin because when, you know me, like I get my head down, I get my, get into my routine. I wasn't necessarily worried about like eating fruits and vegetables and like, oh, what's my sleep looking like every single night? Am I, you know, am I having like the the proper nutrition before a run? Like all these different things that like, I just wasn't thinking, I'm like, I'm going to run five miles a day. I don't care. I'm not taking a day off. I'm not going to worry about changing out running shoes or any of that stuff. I just need to do this. And so I told myself that was the only way to go. And it actually like my alcohol tolerance was shot after doing this. I had a couple instances in which your boy thought he was still drinking as 192 pound Connor and he wasn't. We'll just say that. What'd you get down to weight wise? When I came home in October of my senior year, I think I weighed, I went upstairs and I weighed myself because my, the first time I came home, like after I left my parents, you know, I like the last I saw them was like mid August and I came home in October. It was Big Ten media days for for basketball, and I was covering Indiana for for the paper. And my parents looked at me like, "What the hell is going on here? Are you like, are you well? Are you okay?" I weighed in at like 157 pounds that Oof. night, which when yeah. you're when you're my height, that's you know that that's just a little bit different. So I'm I'm five eight, so I went into that like, and I had a couple instances in which my alcohol tolerance was really, really bad. And I did not fully grasp that, but where it got to like obsessive levels that summer after that. So the summer after my senior year, where I'm continuing all this stuff and I'm like, I I just need to run. I need to do this cardio every single day. When I was in New York at the baseball hall of fame and I'm in upstate New York and speaking of Hills, the Hills around that area are, are crazy, crazy intense. I ran seven miles a day. I wasn't missing a day. I was running seven miles, no matter what we're logging this, we're hitting 50 miles a week. We're going to make this happen. Not worried about what I'm putting into my body, how I'm taking care of myself. Hydration wasn't a thing for me yet. None of this stuff did not care about any of it. I told myself the only way I'm going to be able to maintain this place because I liked being thinner as opposed to the 192 pound version of myself. And I felt better overall, but I told myself the only way I can maintain this level is if I run seven miles a day. And I did that in freezing conditions in Nebraska when I first got out there. And I, I, I seriously think I did permanent damage to my lungs with some of these experiences that I've had by just pushing through and just saying, no matter what, we're going to do this. And I would have instances where I'm running and it's like the Nebraska wind is, is hitting me. And I'm like, I got to do my seven miles. I don't care that it's 13 degrees outside. I got to get on my ice shoes that literally ice shoes that I would run in. Like I was Rocky in, in Russia. All right. And I was telling myself the only way I'm going to be able to maintain this weight is if I continue to run this way. And if I continue to live my life this way. And this is like my personal hell. I'm just letting you guys know if ISIS captured me and dropped me off in Nebraska and, and made me run seven miles a day in the cold, I'm rolling on everybody but my mom. If yeah. you have government secrets in me and you make me run seven miles a day in Nebraska in the cold, they're gone. There are secrets now. Yeah. And I, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what the exact moment for me that made me realize this isn't working. You shouldn't be doing this to yourself. I don't know when that was because I never, I, I wouldn't say that I had an eating disorder or anything like that. And at that point I was like eating a lot more. I wasn't, that was real when I was eating like a thousand calories a day, that was really only that like first summer 
before when I was trying to lose all that weight and then I lost and I'm like, Oh, I should probably start eating a little bit more, but I wasn't concerned about like eating fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. And eventually I hit that point and it was probably one of those 13 degree runs in ice in Nebraska running seven miles. I'm like, buddy, what are we doing? What, what are we doing? This isn't fun. This is hell. There are fit people in this world who are not doing this and you don't have to do this. And eventually I hit that point, but it took me way too long to realize that I can be a healthy version of myself. I can still, you know, not necessarily feel like I need to only eat a thousand calories in a day. And I feel like I can actually understand nutrition and, and proper exercise, cross training, these crazy, this crazy concept, all those different things. And, you know, like not necessarily hate it. And it was a long, like kind of a long journey to get to that place. But I look back on that time in my life and I'm like, I mean, what was I thinking? No idea. No idea. It was just, it helped me lose the weight, but not healthy, not sustainable at all. I mean, that's another parallel because remember last time we told the hook story, I then told the story of the girl that I was on her hook. And the the way that I got with her was losing like 80 pounds. And granted, like I was fat. So like when you're fat and you lose that much weight, it's not as big of a deal. It's like you, I mean, you were like, no, but you were like a former athlete. Like you played high school football. You probably got some shots up at college. Like, dude, we don't carry body fat the same. I was rotund like when I was in eighth grade and so what I'm saying is you losing 40 pounds to get from 190 to 150 is just as drastic if not more because you don't have as much fat to lose you know what I'm saying and so uh yeah no you're that's a good point man and just yeah I know it's so trite and jaded or whatever man but just like coming to terms with who you are and loving yourself I mean as a person who's just always kind of been a bigger guy I'm not gonna say I've struggled with my weight because I don't think it's a struggle now but uh, as a guy who's always been a bigger guy it's something that I've had to come to terms with and just say, like we talked about, you know, in the dad bod segment a couple of weeks ago, it's like, love yourself, have confidence. And, you know, to your point, it's like, we did those things for girls. So they would like us where the girls that we needed to attract like us for who we are. You know what I'm saying? Like fast forward to where you're at now and you're happy to put on some dad bod weight to go be a father with Lauren, you know, and that's what it's about. It's about being with someone who loves you for you and not for what you do for them. And the, the irony in all of it is that Lauren actually liked me when I was at like 192. Chunky like, Connor. Yeah, she's like, I, you know, I, I, I like the person that you, that you were then too, and you didn't need to lose weight for us to to start dating like that. That mm-hmm. wasn't, and and she has been so unbelievably supportive, and at times she's been that person that has been really helpful to say, you you can take a day off, man. It's it's going to be okay. You don't need to go out and run in these conditions or something like that. Now I think I have a, a much healthier relationship, but when you're, when you're at that stage and this is something that, I mean, I'm still, still to this day, guilty of to a certain extent of just putting your head down and telling yourself, Nope, there's just one way to do this. And if I see results, then that's just going to work. And it's like, there, there are just always more factors to consider when you're doing something as drastic as that. And when you kind of look around, you're like, oh yeah, like this isn't something that a bunch of other people are doing. And you think to yourself, well, I'm just working harder than all of them. So that's why they're not getting the results. And I am. And it's like, well, you're also not lifting weights. You're not changing out your running shoes. You don't have a balanced diet and you don't hydrate. 
and you don't consider these other things that could actually be benefiting you more and make this a more sustainable form of, of fitness and a more sustainable lifestyle. And yeah, it was just not, not an easy thing to go through, but I sit here 12 years later telling myself I'm in a much better place mentally, physically, spiritually, all like all those different things as a result of going through that and thinking I was helping myself in many ways. And in reality, I was actually kind of sinking and not even fully acknowledging it at the time. Um, I'll say this too. And this is like, it's just something that I'm aware of from like watching documentaries. I obviously, I don't know anything about this personally, but there's, you know, when people like in narcotics talk about why people, you know, get addicted to drugs, there's this, there's this thing called chasing the dragon. And the whole thing is that, you know, if you were to do a really hard drug, right? Heroin, meth, something like that. The first time that you hit it, you feel this euphoric high that's like a 10 out of 10. And every subsequent time after that, it's like 10% less. And the reason why people stay addicted is they keep chasing that first high that they had that was pure and perfect. And if you don't accept yourself, that thing that you are chasing is acceptance, right? So if you see in up in the distance, oh, if I get to this point, people will like me. If I get to this point, I can get this girl. If I get to this point, I'll be confident. Once you get to that point, like once you got to 157 or whatever, when you were there and you looked in the mirror, you didn't immediately go, oh, problem solved. I'm good. I love myself now. You Because you kept beating yourself up. And Correct. so at the end of the day, instead of saying, oh, well, if I just ran more, if I just lost 10 pounds, oh, if I just you know did this, oh, if I just finished school, then I would love myself. It's like, you don't need, there's no prerequisite to loving yourself. There's no prerequisite to holding other people to a standard. If someone treats you poorly and you say to yourself, oh, well, you know, that person has all this going for them and I'm just this person, I just need to accept that. No, that's why you get treated that way because you accept that. And so that's that's a big thing is like, you know, we we get treated the way people, we, we get treated the way we allow people to treat us. And if we're always looking for that thing, if we're always looking for acceptance, People can sense that and they're going to string us along. So I think it's all related, right? It's that at times in our life when we weren't confident, that's when we had the most toxic relationships. And I'll say this too, you're, you're talking about like getting getting like a high off of this, that, that experience. Take it from somebody who has logged a lot of miles. And I still like running, still like mm -hmm. running. I do. Runner's high is BS. That's, that's a lie, man. That's... I don't know where, what the origins of, of runner's high, like where that came from. If it came from up in up in Eugene and it was a Phil Knight created thing, I wouldn't be totally surprised. Not a thing. Runner's high, come on. If, if that's what you're chasing, you're chasing the wrong thing. Like maybe I had one moment during all of those runs when I felt like, oh, I, I feel like I can keep going right now. This feels really good. Like after a few miles, I'm going to do a little bit extra. Maybe that one moment, if that's runner's high, that's not significant. <laughs> it's just not, not a thing. So, yes. All right. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Join the Facebook group. Your name, Red on Air. We'll figure it out. We're Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.